Hello, everybody. This is the Power Slam podcast being recorded on May 4th, 2018. This is your host, Brendan Dennis. I am here specifically, actually, today. I could do a little bit of a backlash preview if I wanted to go ahead and do that. Uh, but I also, for sure, want to speak about New Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, Dantaku event, Wrestling in Dantaku, um, which actually just took place over the last couple of nights, um, what would be have been in Japan Thursday night and Friday night. Of course, we haven't reached Friday night, actually, by the time I'm recording this here in the States. But one heck of a cool event. Um, some really large movement on the Bullet Club front and also a major win to finish those two nights off that I certainly want to talk about uh, the coronation of a new ace in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Some people already considered him the ace, uh, but Kazuchika Okada goes on to prove that he is number one in that promotion. So let's talk about that. I am probably not going to be doing a Raw and SmackDown recap here. Again, these are the Raw and SmackDown go-home shows to, oddly enough, backlash, despite the fact that they just got done with the greatest Royal Rumble this past Friday. So an incredibly short nine days between two pay-per-view level events. And again, the Grace Royal Rumble was on the network. So, you know, it's for lack of a better term, sometimes you can look at it as canon and not canon with pay-per-views and those shows that are now on the network being canon and then house, house shows sort of being not canon in a way. Um, if you want to look at it for some, from something like, for instance, the Star Wars universe or some other major fictional universe in terms of what's actual storyline and what's considered to be kind of fan fiction or non-storyline, that's one way to almost delineate between the two in wrestling. But the greatest Royal Rumble was on the network and is storyline, and it kind of created a bit of a mess, I think, for WWE trying to not only incorporate everything from the greatest Royal Rumble and making make sure that it's included as storyline and backlash, but also to promote backlash. You know, we just had a card that was almost a WrestleMania-level card at the Greatest Royal Rumble, even though I think the Rumble itself as a show was kind of disappointing. But to go from that and then have Backlash, which isn't really on paper, again, as good of a card, and then to promote it, I, I think has been very difficult. I mean, they found a lot of problems pushing this show as a major show. Maybe like some of you out there, I'm likely to watch it on Sunday night just because I did get the network at the last possible moment for WrestleMania and technically have backlash within my 30 days for the network. So I'm probably going to watch it and then immediately cancel it um, when I'm going to bed or something like that until, actually, I don't know. It depends on whether Money in the Bank or SummerSlam grab my attention. There's a chance that I could pass both of those if I really wanted to. But the, the next for sure purchase I would make um, in terms of monthly subscription would be the G1 special for New Japan, although I very well might watch Dominion because of something I'm about to talk about. So let's get into it. It's a good seg. Look at that. Walk right into it. So on the second night of wrestling in Dentaku, who shows up at night two of the pay-per-view but the one, the only, Y2J, Chris Jericho, who I believed I really got suckered in by the entire thing and that he was done with New Japan. He made those comments that I talked about on the podcast, I believe last week, to the local um, television station where he said, you know, he basically alluded to the idea that Gato and Jado weren't willing to pay him enough money 
to continuing the promotion. And again, that to me was a little too shoot style to think that it was a work. But he worked us. And he at least worked me. He worked the crap out of me. And sure enough, there he shows up. And not only that, but then he doesn't show up to uh, Haino Kuni, which was the New Japan show from, I don't even know if it was last week, it was just a few days ago, where Naito ends up beating Suzuki for the Intercontinental Championship. And there was a lot of speculation that he was going to show up after that win and potentially do a Naito beatdown. He doesn't. Instead, he shows up here at Dantako after you know, a multi-man tag match with all of LIJ exiting the ring, Naito hanging out, you know, doing his thing with the crowd, and then Jericho attacking as a fan down the walkway. I thought that that was absolutely masterful, by the way. Jericho coming out, basically assaulting him as a fan and getting him that way, I thought that was just phenomenal. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen it or aren't aware of it, what takes place is there's a multi-man tag, LIJ wins the multi-man tag, all the other LIJ members leave, Tetsuya Naito hangs back, starts to head down the walkway, basically through the fans on either side of the barrier, kind of, you know, doing high fives and everything else, and everything looks fine, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some fan hits him, kind of, and then gra jumps over the railing himself, grabs him, and all the while the fan has a hood on, and also is wearing a mask, so you don't know who it is, specifically, although you can start at that point to kind of infer who it is. And Naito just gets absolutely assaulted, gets thrown basically back towards the railing, towards the wrestling ring, tossed over that, tossed into the ring. And then next thing you know, that fan gets in the ring, takes about 10 seconds to pull off his mask because it was on a little too well, apparently. It was a Bushi-style mask, by the way. He probably got it from Bushi, which might have been why it was hard to pull off because Bushi's a smaller guy. So Jericho can't get the mask off, but reveals himself to be Chris Jericho. And again, it was another kind of rough and tumble brawl type scenario like he did with Omega back at Wrestle Kingdom 12 and that assault. Um, but it was great. And Jericho ends up hitting Naito with the bell to supposedly bust him open. Now, Naito actually gets busted open by, I believe, Red Shoes. Uh, it was whoever the referee was in that was in the ring at the time, I think it was Red Shoes, comes over and actually blades Naito on camera. <laughs> and again, this is live. You know, New Japan isn't used to blading, so they're probably not as great with the camera tricks, and that there are not as many cameras as there would be in WWE. So New Japan was unable to kind of cut the blading out, and the blading ends up on camera. So you can see it if you actually go back and watch the beatdown. So the blade, I think the blade actually took place, it was definitely a few seconds before Jericho came in with the bell, because I think he, Naito gets bladed, and then he's like kind of laying down the ring so you can't see it. And then Jericho hits him with the bell, and then he turns over, and there's all this blood. So then, finally, after Jericho beats him down, hits him with the ring bell, Sonata and Evil kind of come back, which, you know, again, took you long enough, guys. Um, but they end up coming back to the ring, and Jericho ends up fleeing, and that's all she wrote. But you know that this is probably going to set up then for Jericho and Naito at Dominion. Admittedly, I'm not sure when Dominion takes place. I know that's essentially, uh, for fans, New Japan's version of SummerSlam, for lack of a better term, because you have to remember, New Japan's main pay-per-view being Wrestle Kingdom takes place all the way in January, like around Royal Rumble time.
whereas WrestleMania takes place in April. So there's a good three-month gap there between the two. So New Japan, I believe, runs Dominion kind of smack dab in the middle of the summer. It might be in June. Um, but in any event, we will see how that one shakes out. I believe that is going to be Chris Jericho and Tetsuya Naito at Dominion. It was a pretty cool build. You know, he attacked him, obviously, at um, New Year's Dash, which was on January 5th, um, the day after Wrestle Kingdom. And now we get this sneak attack to set up what should be one heck of a match down the road between those two. And, and this, again, is probably going to be a brawl-style match, much like what Jericho did with Omega. I don't know if Chris, again, has the horses to do a full-style, you know, Y2J circa 2001 match. I, I think that he's at the end of his career and would have too much difficulty with that. But if he tried to do it, Naito would be a guy he certainly could try to do it with, although Omega also would have been. And I just don't think that Chris, at this point in his career, has the confidence that he could string that together. But we will see. We'll see how this goes. Certainly looking forward to the build for that match. More along the lines of that, Y2J and LIJ, let's move to the Bullet Club. So the Bullet Club has a few matches over the course of the two nights. The most important match probably being, well, the only one that was for belts, I suppose, the six-man never open weight tag belts were on the line when Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Bad Luck Fale mixed it up with the Young Bucks and Marty Skrull. Uh, the Young Bucks and Skrull end up winning that match on night one. And interestingly enough, there really wasn't any you know, fallout in ring or otherwise from that match. It was just kind of a match. I, I don't believe that there was any real storyline element to it. Um, they just kind of ended up winning clean, being the Young Bucks and Marty Skrull. They are the new six-man tag champs. Then you go into night two, and night two also creates kind of an interesting dynamic because now you've got the same two teams. Okay, so you have Tamatonga, Tongaloa, and Bad Luck Fale adding Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega with, again, Ibushi not really being Bullet Club, but just kind of being there. And then you have that five-man team go up against the Young Bucks, Marty Scrawl, Hangman Page, and Cody. So once again, playing up the Cody versus Kenny storyline, you know, now you've got a whole bunch of members basically from both the New Japan contingent and essentially versus the ROH contingent. Can they get along? You know, what's happening here? That type of stuff. And the New Japan contingent ends up winning that match. So then, after the match, Kenny ends up, I believe, chasing off Cody to continue their feud, while the remainder of the guys sort of end up staying behind. The only one is Ibushi, who kind of ends up walking off away from kind of the other, again, Bullet Club happenings. And then all the other guys uh, who are in the ring, you know, make up and kind of put on this impression that Bullet Club is fine and that everything's kind of right with those guys. So talking about essentially the Young Bucks, Marty Scrawl, Hangman Page, Tama Tonga, Tongaloa, Bad Luck Valet, and then even Yujiro Takahashi and Chase Owens came out. So those nine dudes essentially are coming together through that and then also a post-match picture that they must have taken in the back showing the nine of them together um, united essentially as a Bullet Club front. So. 
those nine are Bullet Club. Now the question becomes, are Kenny Omega and Cody Bullet Club any longer? Or has the rest of the club just sort of gotten sick of them and are they now gone? And I think that's kind of the main storyline off of which we're all operating at this point. And being the elite, which will come back, will that be the continued storyline? You know, now Cody and Kenny, before it was a war between who was the leader, Cody or Kenny, now are either of them even in the Bullet Club any longer? And does the Bullet Club have a leader? Does the Bullet Club need a leader? I suppose to a degree. LIJ has Naito. Chaos essentially has Okada. Before Okada, it was Nakamura. Suzuki Goon obviously has Suzuki. You know, what does Bullet Club have an identity with a leader? And right now, I would say that the leaders essentially are the Young Bucks on the ROH American side and Tamatonga almost assuredly from the New Japan side. But you know, the, I, I think the Bucks have done a better job of stepping up and showing that they have the ability to lead. Whereas Tonga, is, he's done too much, you know, Tranquilo-type stuff, frankly, laying in the background, not really asserting himself. I think that that's been a problem with Tama Tonga. Is this guy going, going to assert himself and really push himself out and forward as a leader? I haven't really seen that, and I think that's problematic. The other New Japan element that came out on night two was Tamatonga actually coming out with Bone Soldier. So Bone Soldier's back. But as I stated in last week's podcast, Bone Soldier is not the old Bone Soldier. It is Taiji Ishimuri. Uh, Ishimuri has done work, I know, for Impact in the past, is a young worker, is generally liked. And I think a lot of people generally think that he does good work. So, you know, I believe that Ishimuri will be a good ad, certainly better than the old Bone Soldier slash Captain New Japan. I mean, no, I, I can't remember that gentleman's name, and no offense to him, but it, it, you know, at some point, you've got to move on, and his wrestling there towards the end was not really what I would consider to be, you know, for lack of a better term, up to snuff, and where you would want it to be for somebody who's going to be kind of an active, active element and portion of the program. So... Ichimori a good ad, certainly a big and good junior ad for the Bullet Club in a time where they kind of needed to add a junior because they didn't have one. So think about that for a second. I mean, they literally didn't have any junior competitors. Now they have a junior competitor in the form of Ichimori, who can certainly at least now come in and kind of try to wreak some havoc. Moving on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, uh, that was kind of the lead up to the main event on night two of wrestling Dunkaku. Um, this was between the IWGP junior heavyweight champion Will Osprey and somebody who's been a foil really for Osprey in his time in New Japan, Kushida. And I loved Kushida. I love the hoverboard lock. I think that the time splitters gimmick, to me, you know, I'm a kid who was born in the 80s. You know, I love the throwback to Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox. If I remember correctly, Time Splitters was himself and Alex Shelley, and they came out one time, and they at Wrestle Kingdom. I want to say it might have been Wrestle Kingdom 10. They did the entrance with uh, somebody else in the ring who was Doc, <laughs> and um, it was supposedly controlling the DeLorean. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, but you know, so Kushida's been kind of up on my list. He's a great worker of individuals in the junior heavyweight ranks. 
This one is taken by Will Osprey. You kind of got the feeling that they're going to run with Osprey here a little bit and kind of build him up. And his second career win over Kushida is a good way to do that. Kushida has that history and stature within the junior heavyweight ranks and the believability as a champion. You know, again, this is goes back to my discussion in last week's podcast about you know building up John Cena, for instance, and you know you build him up to the point where he could take all these losses. He, Triple H, a lot of these old veterans could take these losses towards the end of the career to really pump up other competitors and give them a rub, and it works because they are so believable as champions at this point in their careers. And Kushida's definitely, to me, on that same list. So Osprey gets the victory, looking to build him up as a champion. I think that that is the right move, and they still have a number of junior heavyweights to run through the ranks. And who knows, now he might feud with Ishimori as Bone Soldier. You know, there's always Hiromu Takahashi and Bushi in LIJ. You've got El Desperado. And who is it? Is it Konamaro, I believe, in Suzuki-Goon? You've got Strahl as well in Bullet Club. So, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to go here with Osprey in the title going forward, it, you know, when it comes to the junior ranks, they're almost never running out of guys. And this would appear potentially to set Kushida up for a run at the best of Super Junior tournament that's going to be happening uh, not too far into the near future. So that's also another thing to keep an eye out for. Finally, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match and the culmination, I think, of the feud between two of the best in the business, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. I mean, what can you say? These two put on yet another fantastic match. And what was kind of nice about it is that the finish was a little bit different than what we had been seeing previously with these finishes. Tanahashi, I don't believe, hit the hi-fi flow towards the end of this match. So there was no kick out there. It, it wasn't like, you know, Rainmaker, hold the rest, Rainmaker, counter, get a third Rainmaker. That you know, that finish had been overdone. That was how he finished Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 11. It was essentially kind of an overblown combo to me that had gotten really old, and they were able to get out of that. I did like that Tana hit Okada with a Rainmaker himself, tried to get him to go down to that for a near fall. So maybe not as believable near falls towards the end because there wasn't a lot of finisher kicking out. But to me, build the drama to the finisher you know, with counters to see if anybody's going to hit anything is the better way to go. If you exhaust the finisher kickouts and you play up that element too often and go to that well too much, again, you really, really, really tamp down and dull down what it means to kick out of somebody's finisher and I'm glad that Gato went back and took a step back from again the finisher kickouts and came up with something a little bit more sensible here and what I mean by the feud for those who have paid any attention to New Japan over the last you know my gosh how long has it been going on I would say specifically the last like four or five years these two have been essentially the aces of the heavyweight division. I mean, Tanahashi's always been considered the ace. You know, here he is, certainly on the downside of his career, continuing to put together the high-profile big matches when he can do it and where he can do it. And, I mean, the man 
it has it ends with a bicep tear. You think that's going to slow him down? Heck no. He just powers through it like some sort of superhuman. It, it, that stuff just doesn't seem to get him down, and he won't let it get him down. That's the kind of competitor he is. You know, I think he's phenomenal, and I'm glad that I have paid enough attention to New Japan more recently to have been able to witness him in his glory and his greatness because he really can be just a, a top, top, top level talent in this industry. And for him to be, again, on the downside of his career and up there in age and be able to be agile enough to, you know, have a frog splash for a finisher to, you know, go 60 minutes. I mean, one thing, if you look at his gear, he'll have that one over 100 listed on his gear. And, and some people might not completely understand what that means, but I mean, essentially that stands for one fall, 100 minutes, you know, like a 100 minute time limit match. And you know, he could do it. I, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, he, he's done Iron Man matches for 60 minutes just up until recently. So this may end up being the last really high profile big match for Hiroshi Tanahashi. And if it is, he put on another spectacle. The man has an excellent career. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's going to be very strange to watch him if this was it, or really at any time when he retires going forward. It's going to be strange to see him be the guy who does, you know, be, the, be the dad take your kids to work day wrestler where he's got the young lions in matches with him. And you know, he's taking on that Nakanishi or that Nagata role, having guys like Oka and Narita and those types of wrestlers, those young lions wrestling with him under his wing. He'll be a great mentor. I have no doubt about that, but you know, I'll remember the, the Hiroshi Tanahashi that could put on the huge matches and be the absolute man for New Japan. So it'll be certainly different from that aspect. What this does for Okada, again, is position him as the ace of the company currently uh, and going into the future. He has now, I believe at this point, set the record for consecutive days with the belt dating back to what? I think sometime in 2016 when Naito last had it at Dominion. He won it at Dominion and then lost it about, what, a couple months, I believe, later back to Okada. And Okada's held it ever since. And not only that, but Okada has now broken the record. And the reason that this was such an important match from a lot of perspectives is Okada has now broken the record for most title defenses for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And, again, that just positions him as the man. And it's, it's funny to look at how he was sort of utilized or you know, the lack of utilization in TNA as he had a very short stint there that I think a lot of people are unaware of. But he was there. Uh, Naito was there. This was back when New Japan was sharing a lot of their talent with TNA before it was called Impact and mostly completely underutilizing the talent. Just bringing them in. You had um, No Limit, which was Tetsuya Naito and Yujiro Takahashi. And you had Okada. Okada was... A lot of the wrestlers, particularly Okada, actually in his time with TNA were treated simply like Japanese stereotypes. And it was just a gross misuse. Not only, I mean, was it somewhat ethnist and racist to begin with, but it was also, you know, putting them in that character, which let's, let's face facts here, unless you're in WWE, you know, for the last you know, 15, 20 years, maybe. So maybe this isn't a great example, but those characters are usually bottom-bit characters. Um, you know, people who just come out and are simply 
of just one ethnicity, and that's pretty much their entire character, it, unless you're Jinder Mahal from 2016-2017, are typically bottom-of-the-barrel type characters. So TNA misused those talents, as far as I'm concerned. And it was great to see them head back to Japan, for New J Japan to grow into what it is today and obtain not only the popularity within its own nation, but worldwide popularity. And then for those guys to be at the top of the bill to get their due is, is fantastic. Then after the match, before I forget, I was about to end the podcast, but let's not forget that post-match storyline, Okada calls out Kenny Omega, who then comes out to the ring and wants to face him. Now you'll remember Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada are 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their three matches. I think the tie was what? Wasn't that a time limit draw? I believe, in maybe like a 16-minute match. Um, so that should be absolutely fantastic, as far as I'm concerned. Two of the best going today. I think that Omega is certainly different looking now that he's gone back to the blonde hair from the Golden Lovers days, from his black and white locks that he had as the Bullet Club leader. And again, that's a symbolism to me. You know, I'm not going to get back into the Bullet Club discussion here, but to me, if, the, if there's anything that symbolizes Kenny Omega no longer being the leader of the Bullet Club or in the Bullet Club at all, let alone the leader. It's that. Just this, the switch of the hair from the Bullet Club black and white to the Golden Lovers blonde. So, again, we'll monitor it going forward, but to me, along with a lot of other variables, that indicates very strongly to me that he, despite his tweets and seeming want to hang on to that leadership role that, that indicates to me that he's done. But Okada calls out Kenny Omega. They're 1-1-1 one, one, one against each other. This is, I guess, the rubber match. Usually, usually the rubber match is, what, the third match? <laughs> or it's any match that can break the tie, and I suppose, you know, it, it's odd that it's the fourth match, but that's what it's going to be. Their fourth match to break the tie. Okada won at Wrestle Kingdom 11. Kenny Omega then won in the 2017 G1 semifinal. And the tie was where? Was it Dominion 2017, maybe? That might have been what it was. It might have been Dominion 2017 was the tie between the two. But actually, it might have been... I remember it being right after the Russell Kingdom match. So it may have been actually Sakura Genesis 2017. I'll go back and take a look. But I know that Okada obviously won at Wrestle Kingdom 11. They had the draw at the at one of the pay-per-view level events shortly after Wrestle Kingdom 11. And then Omega won in the G1 semifinal in 2017 before losing to Naito in the final. So that's why Okada, long and the short of it, is that's why Okada called out Kenny Omega post-match. Was basically to say, look, we're tied. You know, I, I've beaten just about everybody here, but... And I've beaten you, but you, we're tied here. So let's get this figured out. Let's put me one up. And now that the defense streak is broken, now that the streak of days holding the belt is broken, you've got to imagine that at some point here, Okada is now going to drop the belt. Now he's in all bets are off territory because there's no real reason. I, it, it was very clear that they wanted him to continue to hold that belt and be the ace of the company by breaking those records. But now those records are broken. Now it's time to move on. 
how do things change for Kazuchika Okada going forward and New Japan. And to me, there's going to be a belt change here sometime in 2018. And not, I'm not saying, no, not until Wrestle Kingdom 19. I'm not saying January 4th or wherever it's going to be in 2019. I'm saying sometime in 2018 that belt is going to come off of Kazuchika Okada's waist. It's just a matter of time and a question as to specifically when that's going to happen. Um, so Okada calls out Omega, I believe, for Dominion. And then we're going to have Naito and Jericho at Dominion. So think about that. We're going to have Okada Omega for Naito Jericho at Dominion. Both pay-per-view, I mean, to me, Russell Kingdom level matches, certainly. I think then the other question mark heading into Dominion, because we don't have the pay-per-view set up yet. It's taking place on June 9th, so it's coming up really pretty soon here. So you th would think that they're going to want something in the hopper sooner rather than later. What will also be interesting is that this is probably Kenny Omega's first singles entrance as a member of the Golden Lovers again. So let's see what kind of entrance music he uses. Does he go with his... He'll probably go with his general traditional entrance music, kind of the fantasy video game theme music, but I mean, who comes out with him, in, if anybody? Is it just him solo going to the ring? Does he continue to use the Bullet Club kind of pistol shot at the end of his intro in, intro in the ring? That, that type of stuff will probably be dissected at the time of that match. I just hope it's entertaining. I'm sure that it will be. Um, and I'm reasonably positive that it will, in some form and fashion, continue the Bullet Club angle. So with all that being said, that is my review, or I guess my recap of Wrestling Dantaku, what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Didn't get to Backlash this week. This is probably actually going to be released on Monday, May 7th. Uh, of course, Backlash takes place on May 6th because I'm actually finishing this up here on May 6th after having started it a couple days ago. So sorry I didn't get that out. Um, everybody watch Backlash. <laughs> I mean, or, or don't. I, it's not. The Backlash card isn't the greatest. I'll be interested in Styles Nakamura, see what they're going to do with that. If they're going to put the belt on Shinsuke, uh, that's really what I'll be watching for tonight. So as this is probably being released on Monday, have a great rest of the week, and I'll be talking to you soon.